welcome to the Once Again Podcast. We are your hosts, Ashley and Jason. In this episode, we'll be looking at the 1951 animated film, Alice in Wonderland. In this series, we won't be doing a deep analysis of the film or giving a bunch of behind-the-scenes facts, but rather giving our impressions of the overall film and the songs from the film. We'll also be giving a score to the film and ranking the songs. So grab some popcorn, sit back, and enjoy this episode. Alice in Wonderland is a 1951 American animated musical fantasy comedy film produced by Walt Disney Productions and based on the Alice books by Lewis Carroll. It is the 13th release of Disney's animated features. The film premiered in London on July 26, 1951 and in New York City on July 28, 1951. Walt Disney first tried to adapt Alice into a feature-length animated film in the 1930s and revived the idea in the 40s. The film was originally intended to be live-action slash animated film. However, Disney decided to make it a fully animated film in 1946. The film was considered a disappointment on its initial release with a budget of $3 million, or $32.2 million today and a box office earning of only $2.4 million, or $25.7 million. Therefore, the film was shown on television as one of the first episodes of Disneyland. Its 1974 re-release in theaters proved to be much more successful, earning an additional $3.5 million, or $37.5 million today, leading to subsequent re-releases, merchandising, and home video releases. Although the film received generally negative critical reviews on its initial release, it has been more positively reviewed over the years. A live-action adaptation of Carol's work and a live-action reimagination of the story, Alice in Wonderland, directed by Tim Burton, was released in 2010. A sequel film, Alice Through the Looking Glass, directed by James Bobin, was released in 2016. I actually found out one of the reasons that it became more successful in, or one of the reasons that they say it became more successful on its re-releases was because it was in the 70s that it got re-released and it was post, you know, the hippie drug era. So they say a lot of people liked Alice in Wonderland after that because of, you know, experimenting with drugs and things like that. Doesn't make sense. Alice in Wonderland is fairly trippy like yeah. it was it was ahead of its time yeah not the way like you know we said this during fantasia too that that had some trippy elements but like fantasia had classical music this was like a weird storytelling beat and then yeah you know trippy <laughs> i'm actually going to bring up fantasia in my overall review so yeah. I'm, gl- I'm glad you said it here the film was directed by clyde giomini wilfred jackson and hamilton lusk we keep seeing these same names over and over again. Um, I wonder why. The story was by uh, Winston Hibbler, Ted Sears, Bill Peet, Erdman Penner, Joe Rinaldi, Milt Banta, Bill Cottrell, Dick Kelsey, Joe Grant, Dick Humer, Del Connell, Tom Orb, and John Walbridge. It was produced, of course, by Walt Disney. It was edited by Lloyd Richardson. The music was by Oliver Wallace. The production company, as said before, was Walt Disney Productions. It was distributed by RKO Radio Pictures. 
It has a runtime of 75 minutes, and the film stars Catherine Beaumont as Alice, Ed Wynn as the Mad Hatter, Richard Hayden as the Caterpillar, Sterling Holloway as the Cheshire Cat, Jerry Colonna as the uh, March Hare, J. Pat O'Malley as the Walrus, the Carpenter, Tweedledee, and Tweedledum, Bill Thompson as the White Rabbit slash Dodd, Joseph Kearns as the Doorknob, James MacDonald as Dormouse, Dirk Trout as the King of Hearts, and Verna Felton as the Queen of Hearts. Let's dive into the plot. My first note here, I have written that the film's opening credits are watercolor paintings of Alice and several Wonderland characters, while the song Alice in Wonder- Wonderland plays and is performed by the Judd Colin Chorus. Uh, sadly, no book opening. No, but <laughs> yeah. this is a very dark colored opening is what I noticed immediately, that it's darker in color yeah, compared it, to a lot of our bright openings. It most certainly is. And I have here that the song is Alice in Wonderland, and I wrote down that it is fine for the opening credits, but nothing special. Five out of ten. I gave it four out of ten, but I always hate these opening credit songs, so, yeah. you know. Yeah, they're kind of a thing of the past. Anyway. I think they're all very similar, too. Like, mm-hmm. same vibes all around. Yeah. Like, if they had something different to offer... Like, we do get opening credit songs in later movies, like I'm thinking Frozen right now, and, like, that song's a bit more intense. Yeah. Well, I'm sure, you know, 50 years from now, people will be looking back at Frozen and saying how boring its opening credits are. Oh, I'm are. sure. <laughs> so, we'll, we'll, you know, um, but it, it, it's just of its time period. If you watch any movie from the 1950s, pretty much any movie from the 1950s, they're going to have, like, this big chorus singing opening yeah. credits. You know, that's, that's what Disney was really going for. He was going for film, not so much just cartoons. But then I have written here, the film opens on a golden summer day in the park in England. Alice is listening to her sister read aloud from a history book, to which Alice vocally expresses her boredom. So I wrote down that as a kid, I always thought that this was Alice's mother or nanny, not her sister. In fact, even watching it now, I didn't know it was her sister until... I was putting my notes together here. Uh, yeah, I agree. When I was looking up, I was like, sister. Interesting. But what's even interesting, like, in other Alice, like, versions, like, thinking any of the live action, anything with Alice, like, she does always have a sister. It is always a sister. Yeah. Like, there's always a sister involved. Well, like most Disney characters, I believe her mother is actually dead, if I'm not yes. mistaken. Yeah. I've never read Lewis Carroll's... Um, you know. Well, if we're going with Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, I think in particular, like, that one, her mother's definitely dead. She has a stepmother. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna, I, I feel yeah. like we'll bring up Once Upon a Time quite a few times throughout uh, yeah. this. But uh, my next note here is that Alice doesn't enjoy books without pictures in them. <laughs> <laughs> Showing her... Judging her so yeah, hard. Her childishness. Yeah, agreed. Although I do enjoy a good picture book every now and then. I can't. I, I like comics, so I can't say that I don't enjoy mm-hmm. picture books. And then my final note for this opening part was Alice's cat, Dinah, is super cute. We need more of Dinah showing up in things, like having Dinah and Figaro be friends. That's I want a little cartoon show where the two of them get into hijinks together. Yeah, we were, I know you were saying that you forgot Dinah even existed. Yeah. Like, Dinah's... 
a cute cat, but forgettable. We all forgot Dinah existed. I hadn't watched this movie in years, I think since I was a kid. And I remember not liking it as a kid, but it would just be one of those things, like, either my grandparents put it on, or like, oh, here, this is for you, or, but, and... No, this definitely wasn't my favorite, and... I have some thoughts on, like, I'll just say that. I don't think the animation's particularly good throughout. I thought it, like, I feel like the colors are good, Mm -hmm. but I think everything feels very blocky everywhere. And I think that's on purpose, but at the same time, I don't like that. Mm -hmm. So I don't enjoy, like, that was a problem for me. I did enjoy the animation. There were only some parts where I was like, why do Alice's eyes look so weird? Like, they were, like, off from each other. They weren't well balanced together. But that aside, I enjoyed most of the animation in this movie. But we'll dive into that more as we go along. Wandering off without uh, without her sister noticing, Alice lays down on a riverbank, wishing that she had a world of her own. And this leads into the song, In a World of My Own, performed by Catherine Beaumont. And I wrote that it is different from the typical Disney, and I have in quotation marks, princess song. It's about the world and not falling in love. I liked it, and I gave it a 7.5 out of 10. I think that's the highest rating I gave for the songs in this. Yeah, I like it. It was an okay song. I gave mm. it a 6 out of 10. Okay. Um, but I did appreciate that. Yeah, you, you know, would you consider Alice a, a Disney princess? or No. Okay. Well, She's not in the official lineup, so no. Well, I think Kingdom Hearts disagrees with you. But... Yeah, well, Kingdom Hearts is... Yeah. Yeah, no. we don't need to talk about that. Okay. But suddenly, Alice sees a white rabbit wearing spectacles, a red waistcoat, and carrying a large golden pocket watch. He frantically exclaims how late he is, which sparks Alice's curiosity and causes her to follow him down a rabbit hole. As Alice crawls deep inside, the rabbit hole dips suddenly down, causing her to fall into it. Unable to do anything about the situation she was in, Alice slows down her fall. Again, I wrote that Dinah is so cute, (laughs) the way that she was just waving goodbye to Alice as she was (laughs) falling down the hole. Uh, I love this cat. She needs to be in other things, Disney. And I have here, this was technically listed as a song. It was called I'm Late, and it's performed by Bill Thompson. I personally don't think it classifies as a song because it's only about two Here's lines. Here's the thing. I agree with that. Yeah. I also think I almost understand why they're listing a lot of the things that I wouldn't count as songs as songs because they're all poems is what they really are mm. at the end of the day. Yeah. But I don't know why they're being listed that way. And I, in my research, I found that there were like 30 songs that yeah, they wrote but if for you this actually, movie. Yeah, if yeah. you actually like look at them, because I'm like, I'm thinking about like the walrus and the carpenter later mm-hmm. is listed as a song, but I'm like, no, I consider that like a spoken word poem more than like a song. Agreed. Like it has rhythm, but that's because it's a poem, not because it's a song. Yeah, like, it's a poem And it makes music. sense because of the source material that there would be a lot of poetry involved here, so... Mm. I'm not surprised, but, like, I think a lot of that's listed incorrectly. Right. But moving right along, amazed at what just happened, her dress inflates, and Alice continues to float down the rabbit hole, wondering what happened to her. Without anything else to do, Alice decides to admire the decorations and knickknacks adorning the walls of the rabbit hole. She lands upside down with her dress deflating and follows the rabbit into a large hallway, with a tiny door at the other end, barely large enough for Alice's head. The doorknob tells her 
that drinking from a bottle marked drink meat will help her. She is startled to find that the bottle and table it is sitting on have appeared out of nowhere. Alice drinks the bottle's contents and starts shrinking until she becomes the right size, but the doorknob reveals that he's locked. Frustrated, Alice is told by the doorknob that the cake marked with the words, eat me, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> just being a kid of the 90s hearing that makes me laugh, will help her reach the key that mysteriously appeared on the now giant glass table. This time, when Alice starts eating the cake, she suddenly expands until her head and legs are cramped in the hallway. Alice begins to weep hysterically and her massive tears flood the room, which splash like huge puddles. The doorknob points out that the drink me bottle still has some fluid inside, so Alice stops crying and sips some so that her height can re- so that she can reach the proper height. Alice suddenly shrinks and becomes so small that she fits inside the bottle. She and the bottle both travel both travel through the doorknob's keyhole mouth and out to the sea formed by Alice's tears. A group of animals, led by a dodo, engages in a caucus race, a race without a real ending or winner, to get dry. Alice spots the white rabbit and follows him to a secluded glade in the, mid- in the middle of a thick forest. And there are two songs here, the first one being the uh, Sailor's Hornpipe, performed by Bill Thompson. And I just wrote down that this is one of those quote-unquote old songs that everyone knows the words to. Like, even if yeah. you, you, you know, a sailor's life is a life for me. And that's the only part I know. <laughs> um, and I don't think it's originally from this movie. I gave it a 5 out of 10. It was well-performed, but not my type of song. Yeah, I won't lie. I didn't really rate a lot of these songs. Okay. I rated the song songs that are actually, you know, I'm thinking... Alice's song earlier, the credit song, uh, mm. "A Very End Birthday" is like an actual song. Okay, when you think about it. Well, I also have the the caucus race was here, performed by Bill Thompson in uh, the Judd Colin chorus, and I just wrote that it's a nonsense song. Another ten out of, or another five out of ten. Moving right along, Alice meets Tweedledee and Tweedledum, two fat brothers who take particular delight in reciting poems and songs. And the first song here is uh, How Do You Do and Shake Hands, performed by J. Pat O'Malley. I wrote that it's okay. Most of the songs have been very short, though not very good, and I gave it a 4 out of 10. And I also wrote down that I personally just don't care for the characters of Tweedledee and Tweedledum. Whenever they show up in anything, I generally don't like them. Yeah, they're not very good characters. Mm -hmm. They're very unneeded, too, in a lot of things. Yeah. And they always get, if it's in animation, they're drawn a certain way to look annoying, or if it's live action, they're cast, or they have an actor playing them who plays them in an annoying way, so I I just don't care for those characters. But moving right along, uh, they perform a a poem for Alice called The The Walrus and the Carpenter, which tells of two titular characters luring some oysters to their lair and subsequently eating them all. So I have here The Walrus and the Carpenter, performed by J. Pat O'Malley. And I wrote that it seems like a separate animated short within the Alice film. Like, I could picture this, uh, just this segment airing on the Disney Channel or something. It's fine, but nothing special. Five out of ten. Yeah, I'd give it a five out of ten, too. It's, 
I think what's weird about it is like there's not other sections like this mm-hmm. in the movie. The movie. Like yeah. if this was like something that happened later and it's like, okay, this happened like two or three times. Which it could, given like how the story plays out in general, like Right. It's basically Alice is just meeting people and keeps going, basically. Yeah. And like if all the characters told her a tale or something. Like, yeah, yeah. I, like it would make sense. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And so Alice sneaks away as they attempt to recite another poem for her, for her, and she comes upon the White Rabbit's house with its owner inside. And I have here the song Old Father William, and it's performed by J. Pat O'Malley. That was what they were reciting as she ran away. And I wrote down it's just a few lines that D and Dumb recite as Alice sneaks away. Whatever, I'll give it a 3 out of 10. And I was very bored of them by this point. Uh, I feel like this movie has that problem, though, where things get boring. Mm-hmm. Because they're kind of playing off the same tropes and same, like, ticks of characters as we're going along. And then it's like, okay, this character's kind of boring. Let's keep going. Agreed. Before Alice has a chance to ask him why he is so frantically late, he berates her thinking her to be his housemaid, Mary Ann, and orders her to fetch to fetch his gloves from his bedroom. Inside, Alice decides to eat another cookie, resulting in her growing so large that she gets stuck inside of the house. Her arms and legs are sticking out the windows and doors. She tries to pull herself out, but is too big. The White Rabbit pleads for the help of the Dodo to get her out, thinking her to be some sort of ferocious monster. The dodo summons a chimney sweep lizard named Bill to rip the house's chimney off. Bill, scampering down the chimney, causes soot to rise and Alice to sneeze, shooting Bill up towards the sky. Just like uh, Pecos Bill's uh, yep. girlfriend. I, uh, I can't remember her name right. Something Slewfoot Sue. Slew Foot Sue. Sue, thank you. Yeah, uh, that's what I thought of when he shot up like that. Yeah. And... The dodo then attempts to burn the house down using some of the white rabbit's broken furniture, much to his uh, dismay. Alice frantically looks for a solution to her dilemma and finds one in the form of a carrot in the white rabbit's garden. And I have here the song, uh, We'll Smoke the Blighter Out, performed by Bill Thompson. Again, only a few lines, four out of ten. Moving right along, after eating... The carrot, Alice, shrinks down to three inches in size. The rabbit runs off again, this time into a garden of flowers. Because of Alice's size, the flowers are as tall as trees to her. Initially, the flowers are eager eager to entertain her. But when she reveals that she is not a flower, they suspect that she may be a weed and throw her out in a panic. And I have here the song, All in the Golden Afternoon, performed by Catherine Beaumont and a chorus. And this song, I wrote down that this song is like one of those Disney opening credit songs. It's longer than the previous ones and well-performed, but not my favorite. 6.5 out of 10. I also wrote that the uh, animation does make the scene very enjoyable, though. And showing off all the different looking flowers, both the personified ones and the ones that are taking the place of instruments. I did give this one a 6 out of 10. I did rate this one because it is an actual song. Yeah. It's lengthy. And I did. I like this one better than like the credit song, and like you said, the animation was kind of it was nice. Hmm? Did remind me of the flowers from Fantasia, though. 
Yeah, that's a, yeah. a, a lot of this. I'm just going to say it now, and for my overall review, um, I said that this movie made me think of Fantasia, but with a narrative. Yeah. Like instead of just being different, like I feel like that's what it was. It was them showing off what they could do with animation and music and everything like that. Mm, I don't know. I can see where you're saying that. Yeah. So then. Alice gets over her annoyance at their rudeness, the flower's rudeness, that is, quickly when she sees a blue caterpillar blowing smoke rings in the air. And here we have the song A-E-I-O-U, or the Caterpillar Song, and it's performed by Richard Hayden. And I wrote down this is probably one of the most famous segments from the film, but not an iconic song, 5 out of 10. Yeah, I would give it, I would say the same thing, that it's a famous segment, Mm -hmm. but not... Also, I really wouldn't count it as a song, so... Okay. Each ring takes the form of a letter or symbol that the caterpillar is saying. Despite her best efforts to ask him how to grow tall, the caterpillar continually interrupts her, instructing her to recite various bizarre poems. Fed up with how short-tempered he is, Alice storms off. Suddenly, the caterpillar tells her to come back because he has something important to tell her. Though already enraged, Alice returns to him. The caterpillar asks her what exactly her problem is, to which she says she would like to become bigger because her current height is much too small for her. Uh, She actually says that three inches is much too small, and he grows angry at her displeasure uh, because he's exactly three inches, and his rage turns him into a butterfly. Though not before giving her cryptic advice about the mushroom she is sitting on. You heard it here first, folks. Rage makes us beautiful. <laughs> I thought you were going in a very different direction with that. Okay. All right. Let's just... Let's just... <laughs> I want to know where you thought I was going. <laughs> no. Let's just move right along. All right. I thought you were going to say three inches is not enough, but... We're not that kind of podcast. Uh, <laughs> moving right that along. Dirty, yeah. Jesus. Uh, uh, people don't know the stuff that I've cut out that you've said. <laughs> I, okay, all right. Let's move right along. Um, Alice breaks off two pieces from either side of the mushroom. She takes a bite of the first piece, which causes her to grow so tall that her head sticks out of the trees and alarms a nesting mother bird that thinks that she is a serpent. Then she takes a bite of the second piece and shrinks down to the three-inch height. Alice finally grows back to normal size with a small lick of the first piece and decides to put both mushroom pieces in her pockets. Wandering through the woods, she meets the Cheshire Cat, an eerily grinning feline that can disappear and reappear at will. Alice tries her best to ask him where the white rabbit has gone, but her attempts are futile as he speaks vaguely and in riddles. And I have here the song Twas Billering, uh, Twas Billering, performed by Sterling Holloway. And again, another famous segment of the film, but personally I didn't even remember that this scene had a song, and I gave it a 5 out of 10. Again, it's because none of these are actually songs for the most part. They're just kind of... yeah. No, you're right. Well-spoken, prosy poem kind of things. Mm-hmm. The Cheshire Cat finally points her in the direction of the March Hare's house, 
it is here that Alice sees a long tea table set up outside with the March Hare himself accompanied by a Mad Hatter and a Dormouse. And the song here is the Unbirthday Song, and it is performed by Catherine Beaumont, Ed Wynn, and Jerry Colonna. And I wrote down that, that this is probably the most famous scene from the film and the most memorable song. I gave it a 6.5 out of 10. Gave it a 7.5 out of 10. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed this song. I enjoy this scene. All right. Alice finds out that they are celebrating their unbirthdays, which is a day of the year that is not one's birthday. Alice is briefly included in the celebration before they manically dash about the tea table, offering Alice tea but never actually giving her any. When the white rabbit shows up, the hatter and the hare attempt to fix his pocket watch but end up destroying it in the process. Which was a little humorous, you know. Yeah. They, I, I kind of like how they were just throwing everything in it. And then the hare's like, oh, how about some mustard? And the Mad Hatter's like, yes, must No, mustard! What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> um, and after they literally throw him out of the tea table, Alice tries to run after him, but finds that he has disappeared again. Soon, Alice gives up trying to track the white rabbit down and dis decides to spend her time trying to get back home. She finds herself more and more lost in a forest called Tugly Wood, filled with bizarre creatures that either snap at Alice or pay her no attention. And the song here is Very Good Advice, performed by Catherine Beaumont, and I wrote that it is a fine, sad song, but nothing special, 6.5 out of 10. Yeah, I would say this thing. Okay. Alice breaks down crying and finds the Cheshire Cat again. He opens a door in a tree that leads to a seemingly never-ending hedge maze, telling Alice that the Queen of Hearts could possibly help, help her. She meets some giant playing cards, painting white roses red, since the Queen only prefers red, and will behead them if she discovers their mistake. And the song here is Painting the Roses Red, performed by Catherine Beaumont and the Mellow Men. It's a very uh, cute song, you know. I yeah. gave it a 6 out of 10. It's, it's a nice little cute song. Okay. I, yeah, I wrote down that it is a silly, fun, quote-unquote, background song, and it could make a Disney playlist for me, but it wouldn't be at the top of my charts. I gave it a 5.5 .5 out of 10. So Also, can I just say that it took Alice this long to be like, oh man, what if I can't get back home? Like, yeah. girl, if I fell down a rabbit hole, that would be my first thought. Yeah. How am I getting home? Not, hmm, look at this weird thing on a table. Let me drink it. Yeah, now I gotta crawl back up this thing? Like, yeah. oh man. So Alice tries to help them, but the white rabbit appears and heralds the arrival of the queen, her significantly shorter husband, and her massive pack of cards army. And I wrote down here that I actually laughed out loud at the single card shouting hooray when the white rabbit introduced the king. Uh, like, when the queen arrived, they were all like, yay, and clapping and everything, and like, then the white rabbit's like, oh, and the king, and you just hear one card go, hooray! <laughs> like, it, made, it actually made me laugh when, I, when that happened. The queen has a ferocious temper and is prone to having anyone beheaded at a moment's notice, to which she applies to the card painters who unsuccessfully painted the white roses. Randomly switching between bipolar moods, she invites Alice to play a game of croquet with her, using flamingos as mallets, hedgehogs as balls, and card soldiers as the goals. The queen actively cheats during the game and beheads anyone who dares stand in her way of victory. 
the Cheshire Cat appears and attaches the beak of the queen's flamingo, flamingo mallet to the bottom of her dress, resulting in her toppling over and revealing her underwear. The cat disappears in time to make it look like Alice was the prankster, but before the queen can order her execution, the king suggests that they have a trial. And I wrote down here that the relationship between the queen and the king actually did remind me of the relationship between Cora and Henry Mills. Yeah, in, I can see what in, you mean there. Yeah, Once Upon a Which Time. Which is so interesting. Yeah. Like, I never really thought about it that way at all. <laughs> yeah. Granted, I've also never seen, haven't seen this movie in so long that it never really clicked. Agreed. That that's like I was sitting there watching it. And I was like, you know, I bet um, Adam and Edward when they when they were watching this for you know a little inspiration of what to do, they were like, oh look at like it's just like Cora and Henry. Like oh they're and we're speaking of Henry Mills the Elder, of course, you know Cora's yes. husband. But like yeah, she's a overpowered um, strong yeah. strong woman, and the king is just this weak little guy who does whatever she says. Uh, it reminded me of Cora and Henry. Uh, Clearly, the Dormouse, the March Hare, and the Mad Hatter all come forth as witnesses that add nothing whatsoever to the trial at hand. When the subject of unbirthdays arises, everyone in the courthouse celebrates the queens. And I wrote down here the song, the unbirthday song, reprisal, only a few lines and served to be a silly song, five out of ten. Yeah. Okay. It makes it feel the same. I hate doing the reprisals when they're... (laughs) Not, not great ones. Yeah. yeah. It's not really until we get to the Disney Revolution. That, that the reprisals actually become like, oh, this is a reprise yeah. here. <laughs> did, I, did I say revolution? I meant renaissance. Whatever. It doesn't but, matter. Yeah, you knew what I meant. Thanks to some more mischief by the Cheshire Cat, pandemonium ensues. Alice suddenly remembers that the mushrooms were still in her pocket and shoves both pieces into her mouth, growing to a gigantic proportion. At this size, Alice scolds the queen for her rash behavior, but then starts shrinking back down to her normal size all too soon. The queen orders her guards to execute Alice, which results in a frantic chase through Wonderland. Various characters Alice met on her journey appear and inexplicably join the queen and her guards in their pursuit. Coming back to the doorknob, Alice is told by him that he he is still locked and that she is already on the other side. Looking through the keyhole, Alice sees herself asleep in the park. At that point, Alice realizes that everything in Wonderland is just a dream. She urgently bangs on the door as the mob draws closer until she gradually awakens to the sound of her sister's voice. Both Alice and her sister return home, and Alice is still thinking of her crazy dream. And I wrote down here the song Alice in Wonderland. This is another reprisal. And it's performed by the Judd Colin Chorus. And I wrote that it is a fine way to end the film and play the credits. Five out of ten. I just hate that it was all a dream at the end. Like, I hate that vibe. That's a cop-out. A real, yeah. A real big cop Like, it's almost like, oh, how are we going to get her out of this crazy situation? Eh, it's just a dream. Yeah. <laughs> like, I get that it's a children's film, so, like, it makes sense to go that way. But also, like, when I think of other more modern renditions of live-action Alice in Wonderland, like, they do such a better job at, like... Yeah. Dealing with that, that it annoys me. Yeah, that Wonderland is a real place and everything. Yeah, I agree. So I'm going to go into my overall score. And I wrote down that I have mixed feelings about the film. On one hand, I really enjoyed the animation. I found it creative and inspiring. It was like Fantasia, but with a single narrative story. On the other hand, I found most of the songs boring and forgettable. And the overall plot lackluster. 
I can see why to some people it is a great Disney film, but for me it was just okay. The voice acting was very well done, but the characters are all very one-dimensional, and I gave it a 5 out of 10. You know what it is for me about this film is that while you're right that it has a single narrative story, it just doesn't have the plot line to really keep that single narrative story. Like, I almost wish, like, what we were talking about earlier, that they had taken, like, her talking to random people and getting random stories from them, because I think that would have gave it more depth. Yeah. Because that's what this was lacking. Like, the plot line was basically, Alice is following the rabbit and meeting people. They kind of sing at her, and then she keeps walking. Mm. Like, it's basically the plot, and that's not really a plot. That's just things happening to a person because she's following something. Like, Well, even, like, there's no villain for her to overcome. Yeah, like, like by the time you get to the villain, we're already at the very end of the film. Right. Like, you know, that's the thing, too. Like, I forget the Queen of Hearts isn't involved in the whole film, which is such an odd thing because... You know, you expect it. If, if it had been like she had met the Queen of Hearts first, and throughout the whole film, the Queen of Hearts was hunting her. Yeah, it was like behind her. Like, yeah. she was following the White Rabbit, but the Queen was following her. And like, mm. yeah, that would give the plot more depth. Because that's what it's missing. There's no urgency. There's no nothing. She's not even caring about getting back home till like, two-thirds yeah. of the way through. And then she's like, oh, man, I gotta get home. And, like, that's an issue, I think. Yeah. And what would you score it as? A 5 out of 10. Okay. Is there anything else you'd like to discuss about the film? Or? No. All right. Well, this has been the Once Again Podcast. Any questions, comments, or critiques can be addressed to our email at onceagainpod at gmail.com. Follow us on our social media accounts, Once Again Pod, all one word, on Twitter and Instagram. If you would like to contribute to the podcast, we have several tiers available on patreon.com slash onceagainpod. As always, a like, follow, or share would be greatly appreciated. Thank you, have a wonderful day, and remember, we will entertain you. We will always entertain you. Rumpelstiltskin always says that magic comes with a price. But for this price, you can get a nice piece of jewelry. Use code ONCEPOD for 10% off your first order at Unusual Magic Jewelry on Etsy. Click the link in the description.